0: welcome to the methodist church in ireland podcast we are a community of people who are committed to living wholeheartedly as followers of jesus for the transformation of the world we hope you find this podcast encouraging and inspiring helping you to do the same We are honoured to be joined by Graham Philpott, who will lead us in our conference Bible study today. Graham is the Director of the Churchland Programme in South Africa, a partner organisation of the Methodist Church in Ireland, through world development and relief.
1: Good morning to all of you, and greetings from, from all of us at Churchland Programme in Pietermaritzburg, South Africa. We're so grateful for the opportunity just to share some reflections with you from Scripture at the time of your annual conference with the Methodist Church of Ireland. I really hope that in some way these reflections will resonate with you in your own context at this time and that together we can discern the presence of God in these interesting times. I think we're all aware globally how COVID-19 has changed our way of life fundamentally. All the associated lockdowns and the restrictions. We started doing new things that shaped our way of thinking and hopes and fears of the future. I know in South Africa we even monitor now and report on how many deaths there have been in the past 24 hours. We've, we've even developed some new language. We talk about excess deaths. Excess deaths. Indeed, death has been a major feature of our lives during this past year. The threat of death, the fear of death, the reality of death in our midst It reminds me of uh, one writer who describes poverty not in statistics or graphs or in monetary terms but he describes poverty as the reality that people who are impoverished, who have been made poor, that they die before their time. They die before they should or before they need to. This is the consequence of, of how we have structured our societies and allowed the dynamics of greed and, and power to create hierarchies of exclusion in which the abuse of people and of creation is justified. And the use of violence to sustain this horror is blessed. The consequence? Is the poor cannot breathe they die before they time they die before they are dead a recent report came out last year I think it was described our situation globally so sharply and stated that the the richest one percent of our global population generated more than double The amount of co2 emissions than the poorest 50 percent of our world one percent generating more than double the poorest 50 percent yes we live in a broken world but these kind of figures make it explicit that it's this one percent is breaking the world for now, for everyone. And somehow the the COVID-19 pandemic seems to have sharpened these contradictions and exposed the, the toxicity of our unequal world. Walking in the valley of the shadow of death has accentuated the choices between life and death. And it raises the questions as to how do we live in the face of systems whose currency is is fear, despair, and death, as those who follow Christ, how do we live so that nobody dies before they're dead? Over the next three mornings, I want us to reflect on three different passages of scripture. Passages in which the, the reality of death of not being able to breathe focuses the choices before us and calls us again to to follow this God, the God of life, the God of resurrection. So this morning we're going to look at Psalm 23, such a well-known psalm. Psalm 23, let me read it to you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Such a well-known psalm, isn't it? with all sorts of memories and associations. It's easy to assume that we're so familiar with this passage we understand it. Personally, this poem is also, this psalm has also been very present in our family's life during the past year. It was my mom's favorite passage from scripture and we read it together as a family last year at her memorial service. It was a real source of comfort, providing words and connections in the midst of our grief. But it seems to me that because this Psalm is so readily a poem of comfort, it almost loses a sharpness, a sharpness of meaning, a sharpness of insight. And so we read this Psalm today, living in the storm of the coronavirus, and the associated fears and anxieties. Can we hear this poem again? Can we encounter God in the midst of our turmoil? And perhaps that's where we begin. To recognize that this is poetry. It's a song. It's a song. It's not a rational, linear argument built brick upon brick to a logical conclusion. Rather, it's, it's evocative poetry. Poetry that's, that's written to uncover that which we did not know was there. Poetry works at the level of imagination, not just reason. Often swiveling our whole universe on the hinge of a single image. So let's look at this psalm as poetry. Now let's begin to see. So, how is it structured, this poem? Well, in the original Hebrew, there are just 26 words leading up to a central statement. And then there's a further 26 words that follow that central statement. So, the, the poem builds up to a crescendo, it builds up to a climax which is the heart of this poem, in one statement. So we're going to start, not with verse 1, the rational argument, we're going to start at the heart of the poem, at the centre of those 26 words on either side, and we're going to let it resonate with our own journey. It's the image I have in my mind, It's, it's, it's like a pond, and a pebble which is the the heart of the poem, is dropped into the pond, and the ripples just carry the heart of the poem throughout the pond. So, back to the center of the poem. What is the central statement? What's the heart of this poem? Well, it's found in verse 4, in the simple assertion, You are with me. The heart of this psalm you are with me verse 4 reads even though i walk through the valley of darkness i will fear no evil for you god you are with me what a powerful assertion this declaration directly responds to the journey of walking through the darkest valley the horror of living in what is experienced to be a dangerous, unpredictable, fearful and yes broken world, that valley, an experience we surely know so well. The green pastures, the quiet waters of the psalm are put aside for now, and the poet names our experience, our reality of being undone in the midst of a distorted, death-inducing world. Fumbling through such a dark valley, the cry of faith that erupts is, God, you are with me. It's an eruption of faith that the, the valley of darkness calls forth. When fear, confusion, eats away at us, pitching us around in darkness, my heart recalls, it remembers again, And again and again, God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is the heart. This is the climax of the poem of our lives. This is the cry of faith in the valley of darkness. It's this protestation of faith that grounds two rich images in this poem, one in the first half and one in the second half. Those images tell us more about the God who is with us. You see, the psalmist doesn't let us off the hook and says, yes, God is with us and now we can do what we like. No, he gives us images to show who is this God that is with us. The first image is the one we know so well at the start of the psalm. God, Yahweh, is my shepherd, I shall not want. The valley of the darkness has made clear that the the princes of this world, the powerful interests, the significant institutions, we know that they do not care for the sheep. They do not care for the common good. They do not provide for all of us. We cannot place our trust in these institutions of power. And it's almost from the the darkness of the valley that we defiantly proclaim God is our shepherd, not the princes of the world, not the institutions of the world, not the logic of the world. God is our shepherd and God will care for us. And because our trust is in this God shepherd, we assert so strongly against the ideology of, of scarcity, of, of greed, of consumerism, of accumulation. We assert, we shall not want. It's not a statement of hope only. It's an assertion of, because we trust him as God, we will follow God's logic. And we shall not want. We declare that the earth is the Lord's everything in it the beauty and and wholeness of creation is a gift is a gift from God for the well-being of all for the fullness of life and yet and yet the princes of the world have abused it destroyed it raped it so that some can have in excess in abundance whilst the majority die before their time. So that we can feed our own consumerist greed. And as a result, we've left the still waters toxic. We've deforested the green pastures and their bounty. From the darkness of the the valley, we defiantly declare God is our shepherd, we shall not want. We reject the greedy hunger for more and more. It's this image in the first half of the poem, God is our shepherd, the one who is attentive, who cares, who listens, who ensures that all are fed, all are protected, all are satisfied, all are secured. It's this God who is with us. And it leads to the image in the second half of the poem. A different image is crafted, and that image is that of the host welcoming us to a feast. Somehow the presence of the Shepherd God in the valley of darkness transforms the fears and anxieties into a place of celebration, a place of feasting. The eruption of faith from the valley that the shepherd God is with us invokes the presence of the host who welcomes us to the table as special guests. No longer just sheep to be cared for, we're honored guests who are anointed and served and celebrated. What a feast, what a God. But this, be careful. This is a table like no other. You see, our common experience of a banquet or a feast around the table is that it actually hides the reality of those who are not like us, not allowed to be present. Somehow they didn't get the memo, they didn't get the invite, they didn't pitch up. Our feasts, they mask the exclusive nature of our tables reserved for those that we think are acceptable. But this host? This feast? No. It doesn't pander to our interests and our sensibilities. This table is spread in the presence of my enemies. Not my friends. My enemies. Not as distant observers but in and with their very presence and in and with our presence this is a disruptive host this host has a table that's that's wide enough that's welcoming enough so that everybody matters and everybody is welcome there's no practice of exclusion in this feast there's no table that trickles down the benefits to some at a later stage. There's no evictions from this table. There's no hierarchy at this table. There's no illegal people at this table. Just us and our enemies. We all belong, we're all welcomed, and we're all celebrated by this host. And it's by being around such a table of welcome that my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will pursue us, and find us, and shape us, and be our hallmark as we find ways to dwell together in our new home, in the house of the Lord. Psalm 23 a psalm of comfort? Most certainly, yes, it has been for me and many others. But even deeper, I believe it's a psalm of of protest. It's a defiant song that declares how we shall live in this unpredictable, fearful, broken world. How we will walk in the valley of the shadow. Our hearts Proclaim from within that anguish, God, you are with me. Emmanuel, the one who is with us. And those of us who are following Christ, we follow that shepherd God. Not the God of our own making, the shepherd God, as we pay attention to others, as we care for others, carefully listening to their pain and refusing to be consumed by greed and wanting, but declaring, we all shall have enough. And we also follow the lead of the disruptive host, ensuring that everybody is welcome and all belong, and have a place at the table around which our cups overflow. This is the God who speaks to us in Psalm 23 today. And this is the God who invites us as conference in 2021 to discover again and follow again, the shepherd God and the God who is that disruptive host, ensuring that all have enough and our cups overflow. Amen. A
0: huge thank you to Graham for taking the time to prepare and lead us in our conference Bible study. To find out more about the inspiring work of the Church Land program in South Africa, we'd encourage you to visit their website, churchland.org.za You've been listening to the podcast of the Methodist Church in Ireland. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. We hope it has encouraged and inspired you to live wholeheartedly as a follower of Jesus for the transformation of the world. If you haven't done so already, why not consider subscribing to the podcast in order to receive notifications for new episodes? If you'd like to find out more about the Methodist Church in Ireland, please visit our website, irishmethodist.org, or connect with us via our various social media channels by searching for Irish Methodist. Hope you can join us next time on the Methodist Church in Ireland podcast.